Turn to 2 Timothy chapter 2. 2 Timothy chapter 2. I'm excited to be here this morning. I'm glad you are here as well. And uh, boy, I, I tell you, we take for granted so often the fact that we're able to meet in church. You know, we take for granted so often the fact that we get to hold the Word of God in our hands. We take for granted so often the fact that, that we're Christians and we're saved, and we forget that sometimes, and we should never forget it. And uh, I hope you're excited about being a Christian. I hope you're excited about being in God's house this morning. Second Timothy chapter 2, and this is a passage that I, I think is probably a, at least a little bit familiar to you, but I just want to read a few verses this morning. We're going to be in a, in a few different passages as we go throughout the message this morning, but Second Timothy chapter 2 and verse number 20 the Bible says this, but in a great house there are not only vessels of gold and of silver, but also of wood and of earth, and some to honor and some to dishonor. If a man therefore purge himself from these, he shall be a vessel unto honor, sanctified and meet for the master's use and prepared unto every good work. Flee also youthful lust, but follow righteousness, faith, charity, peace with them that call on the Lord out of a pure heart. A universal church composed of, as the Bible says in verse number 19, we're not going to take the time to read through the whole passage, but them that are his. Uh, the local church, uh, but, but the, uh, the, the universal church is, is impeccable, it's impregnable. But the local church, which is what we are and what, what makes up the church, is, is far from perfect. And both of those, the universal church and the local church, are described in Matthew chapter uh, 16, Matthew chapter 18. He mentioned the universal church in Matthew chapter 16, and, and I say that in the purest form. I'm not talking about, you know, the World Council of Churches, the, you know, this ecumenical entity or anything like that. That's, that's wickedness. But where he mentions the fact that uh, the church is founded on the rock, on the foundation of Jesus Christ. Matthew chapter 16 and verse 18. And I say unto you, thou art Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church. He's talking about himself. He's not talking about, uh, he's, he's talking about the church as a whole, but he mentions the local church and the functions of the local church in Matthew chapter 18. And he continues on through, through a lot of different things about that. The functions that he talked about are, are the, the reception of believers as little children, the, the restoration of backsliders as sheep that have gone astray. He talks about the reconciliation of the brethren. And, and that chapter, Matthew chapter 18, actually portrays the, the local church as being in need of corrective ministry. Because... We, as a church, and the church is not a building, the church is us, we are the church, we tend to backslide, we tend to move away from the Word of God, we tend to drift away from being close to the heart of God. Uh, our tendency is not to drift toward Him, our tendency is not to drift into church, it's a tendency to drift away from it. And so, many times you see throughout the New Testament that Paul had to correct, through his writings, the local churches in, in different areas. Uh, but some members, as, as we see in, in Matthew chapter 18, needed to be restored. Others needed to be expelled. He talks about the, the, the idea of church discipline in that passage. Uh, but both the universal church and the local church were future things when Jesus Christ talked about them. But obviously, he covered them very adequately uh, even before they were established. But by the way, each of, each of Paul's epistles were written to local churches. They were directed at problems that they were having in those local churches. Now, the gates of hell cannot prevail against God's church. The Bible makes that very clear, but there are times when the local church needs to be purged and when the local church needs to be cleansed. And in 2 Timothy chapter 2, in verse number 20, Paul is, is seeing the local church as a great house. It has a variety of different utensils. In, in the local church fellowship, you're going to attract the saved and you're going to attract the unsaved. 
Hey, there's a, there's a lot of people out there that say church is only for the saved. I don't believe that. I believe we are a lighthouse, as, as Brother Bill mentions often. We, we are a place where those who are looking for truth can come and find the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so what happens in a church is you find people who are saved and unsaved. Some of them have grown up in church. They've learned how to speak the language of the church. And, and when I say in the church, sometimes there are people who, who are not even saved who become members in the church. Now, they have a testimony of salvation, otherwise they wouldn't be able to become members, but, but many of them uh, that, that, that are not saved don't even realize at that time, at least, that they're not saved, right? Or you go to Nitten's, Nitten's testimony. For, for years and years, he thought he was saved, but he was, he was, he was mis, mis, uh, misunderstanding what the gospel was, and when he really realized the truth, he got saved, but, but he was part of a church for his whole life leading up to that, Right? There's a lot of people that are in churches today that are sitting there that don't even know Jesus Christ as their Savior. They've been baptized, they've been, they've been received into membership, they've been entrusted with areas of service, but they've never been saved at all. Others maybe have professed conversion, maybe in response to some pressure that somebody was putting on them uh, to get saved, but they've never showed evidence of that new life in Jesus Christ. I met a pastor a couple years back who said, honestly, that that was exactly what his testimony was. He said that, that uh, you know, he, at five years old, he accepted Jesus Christ as his Savior. He really felt pressured. His dad was, his dad was a pastor, and he, so he really felt pressured to accept Jesus Christ as his Savior, and so he did. But, but immediately after that, and for years after that, he doubted whether or not he was really saved. He graduated from college, not saved. He went into uh, working as a youth pastor, not saved, and God got a hold of his heart. And while he was a youth pastor, he went forward in a service and accepted Jesus Christ as his Savior. Now, that takes a lot of humility. That takes a lot of stamping down our pride. But the fact that he, for years and years and years, repressed that because, oh, what is everybody going to think? They thought I got saved when I was five. But he, he dealt with those doubts for years and years and years. But one way or another, this person comes into the church and even finds his way into the pulpit or into the office of the deacon or whatever else. In their hearts, they're a stranger to Jesus Christ. Their thinking is worldly. Their responses are, are those of, of what the Bible calls the natural man. And their service is blemished. Turn over to Matthew chapter 7. Because I think what happens even sometimes is that you know, they may be polished. They may be educated. They may be capable members in a church. They may be serving and have served in that capacity in that church for years and years. But in the church, they're counted by God as vessels of dishonor because they don't know Jesus Christ as their Savior. And the Bible makes it very clear that there are many people that are in that category. And I'm not, I'm not trying to make you doubt your salvation this morning. I'm not, trying to, I'm not trying to make you say, oh, I wonder if I was really saved or not. If you're saved, you're saved. I'm not, I'm not trying to make you doubt that. But what I'm trying to say is there are plenty of people in a church service, especially in a congregation like this, who have pretended for years that they're saved that may not be saved. The Bible says in Matthew chapter 7 and verse 21, Not everyone that saith unto me, Lord, Lord, shall enter into the kingdom of heaven, but he that doeth the will of my Father which is in heaven. Many will say to me in that day, many will say unto me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in thy name, and in thy name cast out devils, and in thy name done many wonderful works. This is the people who are in leadership. These are the people who are prophesying in the name of Jesus Christ, casting out devils in the name of Jesus Christ, doing all of these things in leadership roles in a church. And he's going to say, verse 23, Then will I profess unto them, I never knew you. Depart from me, ye that work iniquity. I think that's going to be the saddest thing about the day of judgment. People who stand before God thinking they're saved, but they, they didn't come the right way. 
They came in through a back door and they, they tried to sneak in or, or they, they just were so uh, afraid of what people were going to think about them if they actually came forward and said, you know, I don't really know if I'm saved or not. They were so afraid of what people would think that they just never accepted Jesus Christ as their own personal Savior. Or because they've always been in the church. You know, my parents had me in church when I was a little kid and, and so, you know what, I, this is just what I've always known. I guess I'm saved. No, you need to know Jesus Christ as your own Savior. Many will say unto me that day, He's going to say, I never knew you. Depart from me, ye that work iniquity. How sad that's going to be. There are some vessels in the house that are costly and some vessels that are common. The same is true of the church. Some members are pure gold. They give the highest possible kind of service and their character and their faithfulness are of great worth. Other believers, I, I guess you could call them would be silver vessels in a church. You know, they're, they're made out of genuine metal, but it doesn't come up to the excellence of gold. And we're not sitting here trying to compare each other to each other, but it's just the way that it is. In every house, there are different vessels of honor. But other believers, if you can call them believers, I guess, I guess but unregenerate church members are made of common clay. They're, they're just earthen vessels. Earthen vessels or vessels of clay suggest, I think, service that's, that's rendered by somebody that is unregenerate. Somebody who's got a heart that's just... That's just uh, hard to the things of God, hard to the changes that God is trying to make in their life, but because this is what I've always done, I'm just going to keep doing it. Well, I'm there every Sunday morning, so I, I'm just going to keep coming every Sunday morning. I come every Sunday night. I come every Wednesday night. I'm involved in this ministry and that ministry. So, yes, I know my heart's not right with God, but I, I, this is just what I've always done. If I stop, then people are going to think there's a problem, and I don't want people to think there's a problem, so I'm just going to keep doing it. Wooden vessels, I think, suggest that it's service that's man-made. Man-made workmanship, human, human nature, human effort, trying to do everything in our own strength. I, I would call them carnal Christians. You know, they're saved, but they're not living lives that are pleasing to God. But the work that is accomplished by spiritual Christians is, is the highest order of work that you can possibly do. Every one of us has a job. We do something. Uh, uh, well, I don't work, but you guys do anyway. Uh, but every one of us has a profession that we, that we take part in. That's not your primary job. Your primary job is to be a Christian. Your primary job is to live for God. Your primary job is to be in service of our king. That's what our responsibility is. But the work that's accomplished by well-meaning but unregenerate, unregenerate church members, on the other hand, has very little to be commended. You're doing it, but you're not doing it for God. You're doing it for the wrong reasons. Just like a, a clay pot can crack and break, just like a wooden container can, can chip and become damaged, the services that are done by the unsaved, or, or by those who are uh, not living for Jesus Christ, those flaws are, are, are soon going to show up. And you know, I, I think sometimes, only God knows their hearts, obviously, but I believe that one of the reasons that so many churches are, are so ungodly in the way that they, you know, they dress, and the way that they dance around, and you know, quote-unquote, we've talked about music a, a quite a bit, rock the house on church, in church on Sunday mornings. You know, uh, I think it's because they're being led by those that are not even saved. Right? Many will say to me in that day. Why is, it, why is it so much like the world in so many churches today? I think, and, I'm, and only God knows their heart. Please, I'm not judging them, but I'm saying I think the reason that that is the way that it is a lot of times is because they're not even saved, and they're leading people who are not even saved. They're just doing it because this is what we're supposed to do. Right? And we look at those churches, and we wonder how God's blessing them and how they're so successful Listen, just because they're successful in terms of bringing people in the doors does not mean that they're successful in the eyes of God. There's a lot of places. Look, the, the, the uh, finals for hockey and the NBA and all that stuff is going on right now. They're getting people in the door, 
right? They're attracting crowds. Those stadiums are, are, are packed to the, to, the, to the very back rows in the top part of these stadiums and everything else, right? And they get people excited. People are jumping around and happy about what they're doing there. doesn't mean that God's blessing it. And I think the same is true in a lot of these churches today. They're, they're, they're generating noise and they're bringing in people, but it's not God that's blessing it. And I can promise you this, that it is going to come crashing down at some point. God's not in it in most of those cases. I'm not saying that, that's, that, it is for every, that it is that way for every case. I'm saying God knows their heart, and I'm not the one to be in a position to judge. But looking at it from the outside, it's not God that's blessing those churches. They're successful because they have the great marketing tools and they have all of these other things, but it needs God's blessing if it's going to last. It needs God's blessing if it's going to bring honor to him. Right? A lot of those are, are, are houses that are built on sand, and eventually it's going to come crumbling down. You take those two houses, the, the, the story of the, of the house that was built on the rock and the house that was built on the sand, I guarantee you that both of them were beautiful houses. And for a long time, both of those houses looked the exact same. But when the storms came and the winds blew, the house that was built on the soft foundation came crashing down. And that's exactly what's going to happen. Boy, we've had, we've had a lot of churches in this area that that has happened to, right? Oh, well, man, this great ministry is growing like crazy and they're getting people in and people are getting saved. And man, how is God blessing them? There's nothing like what a Christian church ought to be. And before long, you hear, oh, that pastor ran off and did this, that, you know, the, all these different things that are going on in that church and everything else, and the whole church comes crumbling down, and now they're not even there anymore because they're, they're not going to last. They're not built on the solid foundation. Jesus Christ is that foundation. If it's not built on him and upon his word, it, it cannot and it will not stand. The Bible is filled with examples of, of earthen and wooden vessels. I mean, even go back and look at verse number 17, Hymenaeus and Philetus. Their word will eat as doth a canker, right? You have others, Alexander, others that the Bible mentions that were wood and earthen vessels. But it's also filled with prime examples of gold and silver vessels, right? And, and there they're are characters that we probably know a little bit more. Paul, Timothy, David, you know, uh, Daniel, Joseph, Titus. I, I want let, to, let me say this this morning. You better make sure that you're one of his. Because in, in 10,000 years, the only thing that's going to matter is where you live. You're going to be either in heaven with God or you're going to be in hell separated from God forever. But for those who are saved, it's, it's also, it matters how you live. Because God's looking for vessels. He's looking for vessels of honor. And that's what he's talking about in this passage. And that's what I want to talk to you about this morning for, for just a little bit. I want to look at three characteristics of a sanctified vessel. How does God want us to live as participants and members of his local church? Let's take a few minutes this morning and look at that idea, a sanctified vessel. Let's pray, and we'll look at a few things this morning. Father, we love you. Again, we thank you so much for how good you are to us. I thank you for an opportunity we have to open up your word. I pray that you'd help us to be receptive to it. Pray that our hearts would be open for whatever change you want to make in our lives. We'll thank you for what you do in Jesus' name. Amen. Turn over to 1 Corinthians chapter 5, if you will. Number one, a sanctified vessel will be purged. A sanctified vessel will be purged. The Bible says that in verse number 21. If a man therefore purge himself from these, he shall be a vessel unto honor. Purge himself from these means a separation from the vessels of dishonor. Timothy was supposed to separate himself from the vessels of dishonor. And oh, you can't, you can't judge, you can't 
No, we, we're, we're commanded to do that. We're, we're supposed to separate from those things that are not bringing honor and glory to God. Paul had already told him to shun men like Hymenaeus and Philetus. He said that in just a few minutes, a, a few verses before that. Stay away from them. He named him by name and told him to stay away from those people. All those with jangling words, as he said, that were upsetting the church. It's my job as the pastor to make sure that that false doctrine is not circulating throughout the church and leading people astray, but it's also the responsibility of the people to make sure that they are avoiding that false doctrine. The word purge is only mentioned two times in the New Testament. It's mentioned here in 2 Timothy, and there where you are in 1 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse number 7. Purge out therefore the old leaven, that ye may be a new lump as ye are unleavened. For even Christ, our Passover, is sanctified for us. See, a cup with a little bit of dirt on it is not a clean cup. It might be 99% clean, but I can promise you that if you go to a restaurant uh, sometime this week or if you've been to a restaurant in the past and you get a cup and they bring it out there and it's got a tiny little piece of something, you have no idea what it is, stuck to the rim of that cup, it might be that the rest of that glass is perfectly spotless, but it's not clean. And you're going to say, uh, there's something on here that I didn't pay for and I feel bad eating this, right? Uh, and you're going to give them the cup back and you're going to want another cup. It might be 99.9% .9 clean. But a cup that has a little bit of dirt on it is not a clean cup. It's dirty, right? A cup that is, that if, if that cup is, is completely dirty and it touches something else, it's going to make the other cup dirty as well, right? You, you've heard the whole, uh, you know, you take a, a rotten apple and put it in with a, a bunch of other good apples. It doesn't make the, the bad apple good. It makes all the good apples rotten. And that's exactly the way that it works in a church. When that, when that doctrine gets in there, when that false doctrine gets in and starts to spread, you, you, you got to separate from those things. But only by disassociating ourselves from that wickedness and that sin can we be clean vessels, purged vessels that are fit for God's use. 2 Timothy chapter 2. Turn back over there, if you will. 2 Timothy chapter 2. This is our text passage, but in verse number 19, we, didn't, we started at verse number 20, but the verse before that actually goes right along with exactly what he's talking about here. He says... Uh, Nevertheless, the foundation of God standeth sure, having this seal, the Lord knoweth them that are his. And here's the key. And let everyone that nameth the name of Christ depart from iniquity. If you're a Christian, then that ought to be a characterization of your life. You ought to depart from iniquity, and people ought to know that you're departing from iniquity. Are you going to make a mistake here and there? Absolutely you're going to, because we're not perfect, and we're never going to be perfect. Are you going to slip up from time to time? Absolutely, because again, we're not perfect. But as Christians, our goal should be to become more like Christ, not less. Right? Our goal should be to see how much should be see how much of the worldly influence we can get out of our house, not how much we can bring in and still be classified as Christians. Right? By the way, that includes movies that are produced by the world. I'm amazed at the that the big deal that everybody's making about this new Top Gun movie that's just come out. I mean, I I've. Facebook is the big tattletale, and I don't get on Facebook very often for that reason. I'm not in there looking for stuff to find that I can see that's wrong with people that they're doing. But I saw, saw a post from a pastor who is in our circles, who, who is an independent fundamental Baptist, you know, just like us. Put a post in there, oh, the Top Gun movie is the greatest movie I've seen in a long time. And I was like, oh, pretty interesting. I would go look it up. And that thing is filled with cussing, filled with all kinds of other stuff. How can you claim... To claim the name of Jesus Christ and then do everything you can to fit in with the world. I mean, this, 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 you're going to the theater to see this thing. It's not even out in, in, in a movie pack yet or whatever they call it. You have to go to the place where all of that other junk is being 
shown and produced and everything else to see it, and then you're going to post it on the greatest movie I've ever seen in a long time? That's not pleasing to God. Hey, I don't, I'm sorry you don't get to watch a lot of movies. We watch very few movies because there's very few movies that are actually being produced that are okay. And listen, if I find out that it's got a cuss word in it, I'm not watching it. Well, then somebody posted on there. I, I started reading through the comments because I wanted to see what people had to say about it. And one person out of all those comments said, how's the language? And not this pastor. Somebody else responded and said, oh, there's a couple of uses of this word here and there. But, but other than that, it's not too bad of language. What is too bad of language? If it's a cuss word, it's a cuss word. If it takes the Lord's name in vain, it takes the Lord's name in vain. Right? And here we want to talk about all this woke stuff that's going on. And here we're giving millions of dollars to these companies who are fighting against God. And they're using the money that you're giving them to do it. And at the same time, you're becoming an unclean vessel. God cannot bless that. Well, it's just a little bit here and there. Eh, we can get by with a little bit. No, we can't. Not if we want to be clean vessels that are purged and fit for the master's use. Our desire should be toward more holiness, not less. What can I get by with and still say that this is okay? No, we should say, what can I push out of my life that's going to get me closer to God? That's what a purged vessel means. I think one of the reasons we're living lives of victory over sin is because we're trying to win the victory in our own, in our own selves. We're trying to self-cleanse, right? When's the last time you stuck a cup in a sink and it went and washed itself, right? doesn't happen. The same dirty dishes that you put in there the night before are there the next day when you go back, right? I'm determined to stop doing this or that, and before long, we're right back in that same thing again. Why is that? We, what we need is the heart of David when God broke his heart in, uh, before him because of his sin, right? He said, purge me with hyssop and I shall be clean. You wash me and I shall be whiter than snow. That's the heart that we need towards sin. There's a big difference between repentance and remorse, Remorse is concerned with the consequences. Oh, I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry I got caught, right? Repentance is our concern with our relationship with God. I want to be right with him more than anything else. God, I'm so sorry I did this against you. Please forgive me. And in that forgiveness, help me to turn away from that. You got to give me that strength. You got to give me that power. If we're, if we're to be purged vessels, God wants us to be clean vessels, but we also have to be consecrated vessels. Christians should be a vessel unto honor, sanctified in what? Meat for the master's use. I wouldn't use a dirty cup. You wouldn't use a dirty cup. Why would you expect God to want to use a dirty cup? Much of the work that goes on in local churches in the name of service is, is worldly and it's carnal because it's being performed by unsaved church members or by carnal Christians. You want God to bless this church, you've got to be right with him or he's not going to bless it. And we make up the church. Hey, I'm doing everything that I can to be right with God, but if, if I'm the only one in this church that's right with God, God's not going to bless it. You're the church. I'm just leading this church. This is your church. This is God's church. It's not mine. God's not going to bless it because of me. I can ask him for things. I can beg him for things. But God's going to bless it because you're right with him and because we are right with him. Right? A church that's 99% clean is not clean. God expects all of us to be right with him. And in spite of that fact, God always has his gold and silver vessels in the church. That word translated honor in verse 27 is testimony to the value of the gold and silver vessels in the church. The word literally means value, honor, 
It means esteemed or precious. That word sanctified gives the idea that they have been set apart for God's use. Right? If we're, if we're meat for his use or fit for his use, then that means that we're useful and profitable to him. Are you a consecrated vessel? Is your life clean? And I know that often when, we, when, we're, when you're listening to a message in church, you're like, wow, that's good. We all need that. No, you need to say, I need this. And I'm saying the same thing this morning. I need this. Am I a consecrated vessel? Are you a consecrated vessel? Are you set apart for the master's use? Because this church will never be anything for God if we're not consecrated and set apart for his use. You cannot be set apart for use for the world during the week and set apart for use for God on Sunday and expect that God's going to say, that's a vessel I'm going to bless. He just won't do it. He can't do it. He can't do it. Have you set apart your life for God's service? Are you a vessel unto honor? Or would you have to say that maybe you're a vessel unto dishonor? Because you can't have it both ways. God's desire for you is to be a Christian that's consecrated for his use. He wants to use you. I came across this a few years ago, and, and I don't like to read things that are lengthy. This one's a little bit lengthy, but boy, it, it, it hits the point right on. In that place between wakefulness and dreams, I found myself in the room. There were no distinguishing features except for the one wall covered with the small index card files. They were like the ones in libraries that list titles by author or subject in alphabetical order. But these files, which stretched from floor to ceiling and seemingly endless in either direction, had very different headings. As I drew to the wall of files, the first to catch my attention was one that read, Girls I Have Liked. I opened it and began flipping through the cards, and I quickly shut it, shocked to realize that I recognized the names written on every card. And then without being told, I knew exactly where I was. This lifeless room with its small files was a crude catalog system for my life. Here were written the actions of my every moment, big and small, in a detail my memory couldn't match. A sense of wonder and curiosity coupled with horror stirred within me as I began to randomly open files and explore their contents. Some brought joy and sweet memories, others a sense of shame and regret so intense that I would look over my shoulder to see if anyone was watching. A file named Friends was next to one marked Friends I Have Betrayed. The titles ranged from mundane to the outright weird. Books I have read, lies I have told, comfort I have given, jokes I have laughed at. Some were almost hilarious in their exactness. Things I've yelled at my brothers, others I couldn't laugh at. Things I've done in my anger, things I have muttered under my breath at my parents. I never ceased to be surprised by the contents. Often there were many more cards than I expected, sometimes fewer than I hoped. I was overwhelmed by the sheer volume of the life I had lived. Could it be possible that I had the time in my years to each of these thousands or even millions of cards? But each card confirmed this truth. Each one was written in my own handwriting. Each one signed with my signature. When I pulled out the file marked TV shows I have watched, I realized the files grew to contain their contents. The cards were packed tightly, and yet after two or three yards, I haven't, hadn't found the end of the file. I shut it, shamed, not so much by the quality of shows, but more by the vast time I knew that file represented. When I came to a file marked lustful thoughts, I felt a chill run through my body. I pulled the file out only an inch, not willing to test its size, and drew out a card. I shuddered at its detailed content. I felt sick to think that such a moment had been recorded. An almost animal rage broke on me. One thought dominated my mind. No one must ever see these cards. No one must ever see this room. I have to destroy them. 
an insane frenzy. I yanked the file out. Its size didn't matter now. I had to empty it and burn the cards. But as I took it at one end and began pounding it on the floor, I could not dislodge even a single card. I became desperate and pulled out a card only to find it strong as steel when I tried to tear it. Defeated and utterly helpless, I returned the file to its slot. Leaning my forehead against the wall, I let out a long, self-pitying sigh. And then I saw it. The title bore people I have shared the gospel with. The handle was brighter than those around it, newer, almost unused. I pulled on its handle and a small box, not more than three inches long, fell into my hands. I could count the cards it contained on one hand. And then the tears came. I began to weep, sobs so deep that they hurt. They started in my stomach and shook through me. I fell on my knees and cried. I cried out of shame from the overwhelming shame of it all. The rows of file shelves swirled in my tear-filled eyes. No one must ever, ever know of this room. I must lock it up and hide the key. But then as I pushed away the tears, I saw him. No, please, not him, not here, anyone but Jesus. I watched helplessly as he began to open the files and read the cards. I couldn't bear to watch his response, and in the moments I could bring myself to look at his face, I saw a sorrow deeper than my own. He seemed to intuitively go to the worst boxes. Why did he have to read every one? Finally, he turned and looked at me from across the room. He looked at me with pity in his eyes. This was a pity that didn't anger me. I dropped my head, covered my face with my hands, and began to cry again. He walked over and put his arm around me. He could have said so many things, but he didn't say a word. He just cried with me. Then he got up and walked back to the wall of files. Starting at one end of the room, he took out a file, and one by one, he began to sign his name over mine on each card. No, I shouted, rushing to him. All I could find to say was no, no, as I pulled the card from him. His name shouldn't be on these cards, but there it was, written in red, so rich, so dark, so alive. The name of Jesus covered mine. It was written with his blood. He gently took the card back. He smiled a sad smile and began to sign the cards. I don't think I'll ever understand how he did it so quickly, but the next instant, it seemed, I heard him close the last file and walk back to my side. He placed his hand on my shoulder and said, it is finished. I stood up and he led me out of the room. There was no lock on the door. There were still cards to be written. I want to tell you something this morning. Jesus Christ's blood has covered your sins, not so you can go out and live like the world. Not so you can go out and, and live like you want to, but so you can go out and live for him. That's why Jesus Christ wrote his name over ours. That's why Jesus Christ died on the cross, because a sanctified vessel will be purged. Quickly, number two, go back to 2 Timothy chapter 2. A sanctified vessel will be prepared. Verse number 21 says, If a man therefore purge himself from these, he shall be a vessel unto honor, sanctified and meet for the master's use, and prepared unto every good work. I think the first way is going to be prepared through study. He says in 2 Timothy chapter 2, just a, a few verses before that in verse 15, Study to show thyself approved unto God, a workman that needeth not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. The truth is, we don't know what situation we're going to end up in from day to day. What temptation we're going to face from day to day. Where God might call us to go. We need to study the word of God. We need to memorize the word of God so that we can be prepared. We have to be able to rightly divide the word of truth. You know what that means? We have to be able to understand it. And, and so many of us in our devotions, oh, I'm reading through this passage or I'm reading the Bible. And that's good. That's a, that's a great place to start. But you need to, you need to study the Bible along with reading it. Get a commentary. Help you, help you to understand it. Ha ask the Holy Spirit to speak to your heart. 
There's no honor in ignorance. Just because you don't know what you don't know does not mean that it's okay for you to not live a life that's pleasing to God. Well, I, don't, I didn't know that was wrong, so I guess I'm okay. No, it's our responsibility to go find out what's right. Go find out what's wrong and live by what the Bible says. 2 Timothy chapter 1, just a page over in verse number 13 says, Hold fast the form of sound words which thou hast heard of me in faith and love which is in Christ Jesus. The good thing which thou hast committed unto thee keep by the Holy Ghost which dwelleth in us. It's hard to hold fast to something that you don't even know, but you're holding fast to. Prepared through study, but also prepared through storms. The Christian life is not an easy life. But, but God uses the storms that we face to make us stronger. And we could spend a long time on each one of these points. I'm not doing that this morning. But in, in 2 Timothy chapter 1, and verse number 8, he says this, Be not thou therefore ashamed of the testimony of our Lord, nor of me, his prisoner, but be thou partaker of the afflictions of the gospel according to the power of God. Verse number 12, For the which cause I also suffer these things, nevertheless I am not ashamed. For I know whom I have believed, and am persuaded that he's able to keep that which I've committed unto him against that day. Hey, we're going to face persecution. And we don't, we've, we know nothing of persecution right now. You getting laughed at every now and then or made fun of every now and then for being a Christian has nothing on what is coming if we keep going in the same direction. We are going to be persecuted for our faith. We're going to be persecuted for preaching a hate book. Because it's not going to be too long before the word of God is going to be declared hate speech. And when we read it and when we preach it, we're going to be, we're going to be persecuted for it. It's coming. But hey, don't be ashamed of those things. We grow through those storms. You, do you know when Christianity gained the most momentum throughout history? Christianity gained the most momentum when the Christians were persecuted the most. More people became Christians when the Christians actually had to be Christians. I don't want to get back off on what I talked about earlier, but it, it goes right along with it. Do you think that you're going to live for the world if you know that you can get persecuted for saying that you're a Christian? Every one of us would say, oh, yeah, I'd, I'd stand up and say that I'm a Christian. I'm, I'm willing to stand up for my faith in Jesus Christ. But, but you know what's going to happen? You're going to be a sold-out Christian for Jesus Christ because you know that you could be persecuted for it. Then why don't you live like that now? Oh, you've got to wait till persecution comes to actually be a real, true Christian? No. If being a Christian were easy, everyone would do it. But we're prepared through storms. And then we're prepared... Through that striving, he says, flee also youthful lusts. But he also says, follow. Flee also, but follow. If you're fleeing from something, you've got to be fleeing to something else. If you're going to run from something, you have to be running towards something else. And if we're to flee from youthful lusts, and, and a lot of times we focus, oh, it's for the kids, you know, flee youthful lusts. No, the thing, he was talking to Timothy, and a lot of commentators think that Timothy was 30, probably even 40 years old when the, when the book of First and Second Timothy was written to him. He was not a kid that Paul was talking to. He was a grown man who was in the ministry that was just somebody that needed to be mentored. He said, those lusts that you have when you're a youth, they're going to stick with you for the rest of your life. Stay away from them. Flee those things. But then follow righteousness, faith, charity, peace. A sanctified vessel is going to be purged. Turn, turn over to James chapter 1. Coming to a close here. A sanctified vessel is going to be prepared. And lastly... A sanctified vessel is going to be purified. He says, flee also youthful lust, but follow righteousness, faith, charity, peace with them that call on the Lord out of a pure heart. James chapter 1 and verse number 27 said this, pure religion and undefiled before God and the Father is this, to visit the fatherless and widows in their affliction and to keep himself unspotted from the world. Because a sanctified vessel is going to be purified on the outside. 
unspotted from the world is an indication of the outside, right? How does anybody know if you're unspotted from the world or not? They look at your life. They see how you dress. They see how you act. They see how you talk. They see the things that you watch. They see the things that you listen to. They see the things that you laugh at. That is what gives somebody an indication of whether you're spotted or unspotted from the world. That's an indication of what goes on the outside. We don't follow the world's fashion and dress. We don't follow the world's fashion and music and lifestyle in anything. But that means we're going to seek out those things that are the, seek out those people that are living for God. Because he says, with them also that call on the Lord out of a pure heart, right? But I think also it means purified on the inside. The outside is important, right? What we might call outward conformity, but, but what, what really matters is what is on the inside, right? Turn over to Titus chapter 1. There, there are so many Christians that, that live their entire lives with an outward conformity to Christianity, but their inside is filthy. God is not pleased with outward conformity if there is no inward conformity. Titus chapter 1 and verse 15 says this, Unto the pure all things are pure, but unto them that are defiled and unbelieving is nothing pure, but even their mind and conscience is defiled. They profess that they know God, but in works they deny him being abominable and disobedient, and unto every good work reprobate. I used to share drinks with my kids. I think I might have told you this story before, but I, n I never thought anything of it. The cup was clean. I didn't, you know, I didn't have to buy a second drink, so I shared it with them. And that all changed one day when Jackson was about three or four years old, and we were sitting at a restaurant, and the cup that we were drinking out of happened to have a clear straw. And I looked over at the right time, or maybe the wrong time, I don't know which one you want to say, but I saw a huge mouthful of food go right back down that straw into that cup. And that was the last time I ever shared a drink with my kids. I, some people, you know, I mean, some people will say, oh, you got something on your face. I'm like, that's nasty. I, don't, I can't do that kind of stuff, right? Especially when I see the stuff going back down the straw into the cup, and you open it up, and there's more stuff floating in the cup than there was on the plate before you started, right? The same is true of us as Christians, though. They, they, they might look good on the outside, but God's not fooled by what's on the inside. To him, not only is the straw clear, but the cup's clear. He can see everything. And we think we're fooling people. Hey, eventually it's going to come out. If you're living a life that's filthy before God, even if you look good on the outside, eventually what's on the inside is going to come out. But you're not fooling God. And he's the only one that can bless you. He's the only one that can bless your efforts. You ever wonder why you feel like you're just running in place and nothing's ever happening? You ever wonder why it just feels like sometimes your wheels are spinning a thousand miles an hour and, oh, I'm trying to serve God, I'm trying to live for him, why does God not bless me? I think this has a lot to do with it. We look good on the outside and everyone goes, oh, this is a great Christian, man, he's involved, he does this, he does that, but on the inside we're filthy. And that's what God's, God's not saying, wow, you're a beautiful cup on the outside, I think I'll use you. He's looking at what's on the inside and he says, man, you do look good on the outside, but boy, the inside's so filthy, I'm not, I'm not pouring anything into that. Why would he pour his power into us? Why would he pour, pour himself into our lives if it's dirty? The simple answer is that he can't. By the way, those that look a little rough on the outside, those that a lot of Christians would look at and wonder, you know, what, what's wrong with that person? When their inside is conformed to the image of Christ, then it's not going to take long for the outside to be conformed to the image of Christ too. And as you conform to the image of Christ inwardly, the outside is going to match what's on the inside. To be set apart from Christ, 
to be useful, set, set apart for Christ, I'm sorry, to be useful to him, to become prepared, as the Bible says, unto every good work. The blessings that come from being a vessel of honor, man, could you imagine if, if you made something, let's say you were a, a potter and you made a, you made a vessel and, boy, the king used the vessel that you made because it was so good and so clean and so useful. And what an honor that would be, right? Or, or anything, put, put anything. You know, I make tables. Boy, I made a table that the president was like, wow, that's the table we want to use for our, you know, our state dinner or whatever. And Well, what an honor it is that he used something of yours, right? And that's what God wants to do with us. God, God wants to use us as vessels of honor. And we can be that. We can become that, but it takes a lot of purging. It takes a lot of purifying. It takes a lot of, man, look, look what I need to change if I really want to be used by God. Hey, a vessel that's made out of wood, it can be used, right? A vessel that's made out of clay, it can be used. But man, a vessel of silver, a vessel of gold, those are the vessels of honor. Those are the vessels that, man, when God's looking for somebody that he really wants to use in a great way, that's the one that he's going to use. Yeah, you can use the wood and the clay. I mean, it's not like it's unusable, but God's not going to put you into those situations where, man, how did God use people like D.L. Moody in that way? How did God use Charles Spurgeon and Billy Sunday and a lot of these other Christians that we know from, from the past? You know how? Because they were vessels unto honor. And I don't know their lives, but judging by the way that God used them, they were clean on the inside. And God said, that's a gold vessel. I got a big situation. I have a lot of people that I need to be one for Jesus Christ. This is the vessel that I want. Oh, there's a silver vessel. may not be as good as the gold one, but hey, this is something I can really use. This is a great situation for that. I have a, I have a job, not as big as this one, but I got a, I got a big job. And I, I, I want to use this vessel because this is a vessel unto honor. Don't you want that? Don't you desire that for your own life? It's never going to happen unless you're willing to purge out those things that need to be purged. Get away from the things that are, that, are, uh, that are keeping your mind from being where it needs to be for God to use it. Purify yourself. Flee those youthful lusts. Follow after righteousness and faith and charity and purity out of a pure heart. Right? That's what, God, that's what God's going to use. God gives us a great invitation in these two verses. In, in his church, there are all sorts of vessels, right? Vessels for honorable purposes, vessels for dishonorable purposes. And you and I cannot be anything else but the two of those. We're either a vessel of honor or a vessel of dishonor. Are you a sanctified vessel? Are you a vessel that God looks at and says, that's the one I'm using? Boy, look how clean that thing is. Look how nice that thing is. Yeah, it looks good on the outside, but... Look how clean that is on the inside. I'm going to pour my Holy Spirit into that person. I'm going to use him. That's our choice. We're vessels of honor. We're vessels of dishonor. We need to devote ourselves to Jesus Christ to be in those sanctified vessels. Hey, if everything continues the way that it is, it's not going to be all that long before Jesus Christ comes back. I'm, I'm glad for that, but it's also a sad thing because, boy, that doesn't give us a lot of time to live for him. Doesn't give us a lot of time to win those souls for Jesus Christ that we've been putting off. Doesn't give us a lot of time to really get right with him and be a vessel that's sanctified in me for the master's use. I want to be a sanctified vessel. I hope you do too.
Let's pray. Father, we love you again. We thank you for your goodness. Thank you for the fact that you're willing to use us. We are just clay. We're just vessels on the potter's wheel. I pray that you would allow us to be molded and made into your likeness. I pray that each one of us would be willing to, to set aside whatever needs to be set aside so that we can be vessels unto honor. Boy, I can only imagine what God can do with a church full of vessels of honor. Ah, I know that you want to use our lives. I know that you want to use this church. I pray that you'd help us to be in a position where you can. I pray, I, and, I, I, and I know how the Holy Spirit works. There's probably many things that were pointed out in so many different hearts in the service this morning. Very, very few that I hit pointedly, but I know the Holy Spirit does that. And there are things in each of our lives that you're probably putting a finger on right now. I pray that you'd help us to be willing to get rid of those things so that we can be the best vessel and the most usable vessel in your service. Ah, what a tremendous opportunity you've given us this morning. I pray that we'd take it. I pray that you'd speak to our hearts. We thank you for what you do in Jesus' name. Amen. If you would stand at your